Welcome to the podcast program, Beyond Clinical Medicine, What They Don't Teach You in Residency. I am Rob Strauss, Team Health's Chief Medical Training Officer, and this podcast is one in our series of addressing the why and the how of patient experience. The topic continues to be central to multiple stakeholders, the patients, the payers, including the government and CMS, our hospitals, and to us, the providers. We're being measured and to an increasing degree paid based on our patient satisfaction scores. It's been very difficult to effectively address patient experience in a sustained manner and this challenge is made worse by the metrics used to measure our performance, that is a percentile. So no matter what the improvement is, 49% of providers will always be below the median. Nonetheless, we must and should continue to strive to improve our communication and collaboration with our patients. Today, we have with us a leader who appears to have cracked the code. Dr. Lawrence Hum is an emergency physician practicing in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and the Chief Medical Officer of Emergency Medical Consultants of Team Health. Among his many, many areas of expertise and responsibility, Lawrence has a passion for patient experience and has led their regional groups to consistent top decile scores for several years. Lawrence, thanks for joining the program. Rob, thanks for that kind introduction, and thank you for having me on this program to share a few of my thoughts. Let's start with the basics. Why do you think patient experience is important? Patient experience is very important in many aspects. The fundamental reason for physicians is personal impact and why many of us chose to apply to medical school, train in residency, and become a practicing emergency medicine physician. In our daily grind of practicing medicine, we should not lose sight of the sacred relationship and the impact that we have on our patients. Our patients come to us in the ED in a very vulnerable state. These patients may expose themselves physically to us and share sensitive, private, and embarrassing information with us. At this point in the ER, they're usually very stressed and may be one of the most stressful times in their life. So their wellness and our wellness depends on some of these connections and experiences that we share together. Well, Lawrence, I, I love that you describe the sacred relationship and vulnerability that uh, we have with our patients and the vulnerability that they feel in that setting. Because I think sometimes we forget about that and there are multiple examples. So in this process over time, why and how have we lost that connection that sense of relationship? There are two main reasons why I think we're losing that connection. The first one being in the computer age today of electronic health record, iPhones, Android phones, we spend 30 to 40% of our time behind the desktop or looking at a computer screen. Not to mention the increased burden for documentation as it relates to trauma, sepsis, stroke, and cardiac care. We have less face time than we've ever had before with our patients. 
The second reason is with increasing volumes in our ERs, as well as the expectations to see more patients per shift, we spend less time with our patients. We now see patients as a number as opposed to a human being. And Rob, let me give you an example. Uh, and I'm also at fault for this, is when I'm taking care of Miss Jacqueline Smith in room 13, I oftentimes don't refer her by her actual name, but by that bed that she occupies. So I may tell my scribe, let's discharge room 13 with the diagnosis of chest pain and have her follow up. So this becomes dehumanizing these encounters and the interactions that we have with our patients. When we lose this connection, it may lead to burnout and problems for us down the road. So I, I get that. And again, I, I do understand the necessity when you're talking to uh, perhaps a unit clerk to say room 13 because he or she may not immediately know the name of the patient, but they do know the location of the room if you give them a number. And yet that's just the beginning of the slippery slope that we take. So let me turn the discussion. Uh, we're, we're so focused on scores. Um, are scores really that important? And what do you think they really indicate? The scores are very reflective of patients' opinions. It can serve as a gauge of loyalty to the hospital, which is really important to the administrators. From a clinician and contract holder, low scores can put that contract and job security at jeopardy. If we are not aware of these low scores and don't have action plans, that would not be good for any of us. So these scores are very important to all the stakeholders. Low scores can really indicate two things. Number one, poor operational flow. And that may mean door to dock, lengthy door to dock numbers. It can mean lengthy length of stay admitted or discharged patients, poor radiology or lab turnover times, and oftentimes a poor discharge process. The second thing it can indicate is that the culture from nurses to physicians, the respect they have for patients and accountability is lacking. We know that certain behaviors can mitigate poor operational flow and help improve scores. So Lawrence, I want to open that up a little bit. You describe poor scores as uh having negative impact perhaps on the administrator or the contract. Uh, but in terms of the patient and the clinician uh, and forgetting the other issues, so what if the score is low? So uh, additionally, if our scores reflect the patient's opinions, there could be a lack of trust when we're discharging a patient and them and the patient not following our advice and recommendations. So without good communication can lead to bad outcomes. Interesting. So I have heard you speak about this topic, and you have said that 
there are certain behaviors that can actually improve scores. So let me ask you, like what? What can be done? Can training be general to a group or must it be individualized? What's your thinking on this? Well, Rob, the Press-Ganey survey is an open book test. All the questions that we're graded on are available to all of us. I would guess that 30 to 40% of our physicians can't recite those questions back to us. So if they don't know the questions, how will they score well and how will they know how they're doing? So if we understand the questions and the intent, we can certainly start choosing certain behaviors and words that can make a difference. I've been working on my delivery over the past 10 years, Rob, and I keep adding new wrinkles from scripting to changing behaviors. This year, I've quantified my 20 steps into a five-by-seven pocket card that I share with my colleagues, and this is the basis of our patient experience program. Right. I've seen that card. It's, it's, I think we all refer to it as the HUM20. I mean, you, you've, there's a name to it now, and it's, it's your name, it's, and it seems uh, pretty, uh, pretty clear. I think you've, you've captured it. So I've heard you discuss as one piece of this uh, a training piece that uh, we call shadow rounding. Can you ex- share your experience of shadow rounding with us? Sure. Um, Rob, we can all use some shadow rounding. We cannot adequately judge our own behaviors, and we need feedback. Unfortunately, Rob, we don't have a mirror in front of us to know how we are being perceived by patients. And the reality is 50% of us have that awareness factor, and the other 50% do not have this. So three years ago, um, Brittany Manning, our champion of our patient experience program, and I create a scoring guide. In a trained observer, the rubric that we use provides feedback on a lot of behaviors, including body language, eye contact, tone of voice, and appearance of empathy. After this four to six hour shadowing session by a trained observer using this scoring guide and rubric, we, we usually provide our physicians with a formal written summary so that they have something objectively to look at. So four to six hours sounds intimidating to me. Uh, You have somebody who is specifically available to do this. Is there a way of doing this that we would call uh, shadow rounding light? Yes, we actually have different versions of this rubric and shadowing tool. And it may just be the initial encounter and not necessarily the middle or the end piece of the shadowing uh, because setting the stage is probably the most important thing when having encounters with patients. And that part can be done by a scribe, by someone at the hospital, or sometimes by a nurse. Lawrence, you've established uh, a pretty robust program, which includes many components. What kind of feedback have you been able to provide to clinicians, and has it made a difference to them 
and or to their patients? Rob, that's a good question. And so reliable data is critical to our patient experience program. Specifically, we have to have actionable data that is delivered consistently and is able to show trends for our physicians. We've uh, at EMC with our patient experience program have developed two unique ways to show data to our physicians. The first one is a table that ranks physicians from high to low based on either mean score or top box. It's color-coded based on the hospital's goals. So, for example, in this table, if the goal was 75% top box, those physicians scoring 75% or higher will be coded green. Those that may be scoring from 73 to 75% will be in yellow. And those scoring below 73% will be in red. This gives physicians and their medical directors an easy way to look at how individuals are doing and how they are comparing to their colleagues. The second way we present data is through a weighted pie chart. This is the aha eye-opening chart that our physicians like to see and are gravitated towards this chart. This pie chart takes into consideration not just their scores, but their number of surveys that they have. So we multiply your scores by the number of surveys to show how much you contribute negatively or positively to the goal of the group. And usually in this negative weighted average, there's three to four providers that make up the chunk of the pie chart. These physicians know that they're you know, in the radar and physicians are so competitive that they want to get off this. So oftentimes they come asking for help, shadowing, mentorship before we actually have to go to them. So we've had some resounding success using these graphs and pie charts to help change behaviors and increase awareness for patient experience. Lawrence, can you bring this home by telling us uh, of a, a story uh, of a clinician who has made the change, has turned uh, and become successful? Sure. I've got a general story that I would love to share with you. Great. Love to hear it. So in our group, we had a younger attending who's possibly two years out of residency. And one day he reached out to me and he was really unhappy and had already felt being burnt out. He felt like he wasn't meeting everyone's expectations from his medical director to himself with his Prescani scores and how he felt about working in the department. We had coffee. Uh, we talked about the stress level that he was enduring and the fact that he was not making a personal connection with the patients, that he was just seeing these patients as another number to try to meet metrics for flow and throughput. And while doing so, he lost sight of that personal connection. So we made that the focus over the next six months to make sure 
he made a personal connection with those patients. I gave him my 20 steps, uh, additionally asked him to be vulnerable to his patients, to give his patients his cell phone number. And within six months, his mental health had drastically improved. Three years later, he's in the top decile in both patients per hour and patient satisfaction. Um, this doctor credits me for saving his career. He was that close to quitting and going back to do another residency. And so kind of the learning point is with all the metrics we are measured, we can't lose sight of the, of the reason why we're there is to take care of patients and provide that meaningful impact. Wow, two years in and already burnt out, which I assume happens more often than we realize. And it does sound like you helped him save his career. Lawrence, I really appreciate your <clears throat> spending time with me today. I wonder if you've had any closing thoughts that you'd like to share with us. Sure, Rob. It's been great to be here talking to you today. Uh, patient experience really should not be seen as an evil tool or marker, but really a gauge in all of our mental health, not just the physicians, but for the entire emergency department. When you have a happy department, happy physician, you will have happy patients. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Lawrence. You really do seem to have cracked the code. We can all learn from your experience and leadership. And for those of you who are listening, I hope you found this Beyond Clinical Medicine podcast with Dr. Lawrence Hum as informative as I have. If you have any questions about this topic or suggestions for other topics, please contact me at beyondclinicalmedicine.org. Thank you.